And welcome to the latest Miami Sports Pod. Will Manso, Clay Ferraro, taking you into a new week in the South Florida sports scene. And for this week, we got all kinds of things to talk about. You know, baseball starting. Certainly, that's going to be a topic over the next few weeks. The Marlins get to spring training. But I think the topic of conversation, Clay, that we begin with has to be the Miami Heat in the middle of this wild road trip. We knew it would be difficult going in. They'll start the new week. And for those listening after Monday, having played the Clippers, we already know what happened over the weekend against Utah. I, you know, Clay, I don't like to make too much of one game, but in, in this particular game, Saturday night in Utah, it was kind of a reality check to me for those saying, hey, the Heat are getting more to their style, the Heat are playing more to their style. Yeah, that works against the uh, also Rams of the league, but when you're playing one of the best in the league, it's clear the Heat right now is still coming up short. Yeah, and, and it's <laughs> – I feel like you're right in that it's a reality check, and I think it just kind of lets you know – there's still a ways to go. Now, that doesn't mean that they haven't made strides, and I think they have. It's just that those strides have, have led to wins against the Wizards, against whom they split, the Knicks, and, and then the Rockets in a game in which uh, you know, Houston was missing a lot of shots. Now, I, I think the one thing that I did take away is I feel like this team's defense is starting to get where it needs to be. And, and that first half in particular, it was – the Heat were on everything. It wasn't like Utah was missing open shots. But then what happened in the second half, and, and Jimmy Butler was dead on about this because, you know, we're recording this on Sunday night, and I just went back through and, and watched a bit of the game again. It seemed like every time in the second half the Heat would either turn over the ball or miss a shot, that it would lead to something on the other end. And, and what Jimmy said and, and really bears out is that when they lose games like that in, in ugly fashion, it's because they allow what happens wrong on the offensive end of the floor to affect them defensively. So that first half, I mean, they're flying around. Everything is hard for Utah. I mean, they're, every shot is contested. They're scrambling. And you go into the half, and it's a, it really is one of those in-the-muck games that the Heat talk about all the time they that they like, love to, they to win. The muck, don't they? they like being in the muck. They love it. They love it. That's, that's the type of game the Heat love. And then the second half starts, and, and the Heat allow what happened on the offensive end to affect what they were doing defensively, and it was over very, very quickly. So, yeah, I think it's a reality check in that they need to keep playing defense like this. They can't have these letdowns in stretches of games against good teams. You can get away with that against the Houstons of the world, the Knicks of the world. You can't get away with that against the Utahs of the world. Yeah, and, and look, and that's okay to a degree because the Eastern Conference right now is a mess. Uh, Philly has played very well. Milwaukee, you kind of know what they have, even though they've been a little hot and cold this year. After that, you know, Brooklyn, their defense is terrible. When they're big threes together, they are obviously very dangerous. But you've got the Pacers and the Celtics and the Hawks and these teams, the Hornets, these teams all around 500 that are trying to figure themselves out. And the Heat are right on the outside of that, that grouping by about a game or two. So the Heat are in a position where if they start to figure things out, they're in a position to be in the 4-5 seed, which is essentially where you thought they'd be most of the season. So that's why we can't panic too much. You really can't set yourself up right now to compare yourself to the Utahs of the world right now because those teams are clicking and by the way a big part of Utah's success is they haven't had any major injuries or COVID issues yet I mean they've been really really fortunate and I think it shows in their consistency what after that heat game they won 18 of 19 
But I think there's a bigger, when we delve into the specifics, Clay, what you just said that Jimmy touched on, the whole offense and defense thing and one leading to another playing poorly, those things is accurate. But I think there's a deeper problem that's a specific issue that while it's sometimes unfair to label one player as the reason why a team is struggling, I think as a team, there's a reason this particular player is struggling, and that's Duncan Robinson. And mm-hmm. he mentioned it after the game on Saturday. And then on Sunday, Eric Spolstra highlighted talking about the inability. Bam talked about it as well. The inability to set the proper screens, to get the right movement, to get the ball to Duncan Robinson in rhythm. What is the one thing that he did well last year for the majority of the season, and even this year when they play well? Duncan Robinson, early three-pointers, three-nothing heat. Duncan Robinson, yeah. a couple more three-pointers at 6-3 heat. You know, and it goes and it goes and that rhythm flows. They are missing that, and credit to opposing teams. They see the film. They see what the heat try to get to, and they are intentionally doing their best to block out, to not let move around, to harass and just keep Duncan out of the offense, and it's really hurting the heat. Here's what I don't get about that, because clearly that's what's happening, but clearly that's what's been happening, I would say, for the last couple of weeks. So why is this just now becoming a talking point? And I guess the bigger question is, is it now becoming a talking point because the Heat have tried to fix it and and they, they don't have a fix for it? Here's why. Becoming- you want to hear real quick and I'll let you keep going? Yeah, no, they go for it. They don't have an answer. Because and, and see, that's, and that's know, my concern. If Duncan isn't hitting shots, right, because teams are stopping them, someone else needs to. And if someone else isn't, you're getting this lackluster offense we've seen for the last three, four weeks. Okay, so I'll, let's, let's presume that's, that's, a, that's the problem right now. And I, I do think it's a huge part of the – and actually you said something when we were talking about this game via text as it was going on that that I think kind of plays into that as well. It's they need somebody like a Bradley Beal. And Bradley Beal is not going to become available anytime soon. But to your point, when Duncan Robinson isn't hitting shots, when Bam Adebayo is clearly off with that mid-range jump shot that we saw last night, the Heat only have one consistent offensive go-to play, and that's Jimmy Butler diving at the rim and, and getting a foul call on, on, on whoever's guarding him. And you can only rely on that so much. Now, hopefully part of that changes once Goran Dragic comes back and, and all that, but, but Dragic is 34, and, and, and so it, you can't rely on that all year. This is what I'm wondering, Will, and, and tell me, we haven't talked about this off air, so we're kind of flying here, flying blind, so, so let me know what you think about this. I think given the fact right now that it's looking highly unlikely that you're going to have a true whale become available, I really like the idea of, we've heard Kyle Lowry a lot, and apparently Kyle Lowry has, has put his home up in the Toronto area, up for sale. seems pretty clear that they're going to move on from him and vice versa in the offseason. What if you were to do some move like that, a move for either a Lowry or somebody that can help you on the offensive end with facilitating, and then the guy who's starting to come out for, for potential trade, trade talks right now, Nemanja Belizia from the Kings. And, and Belizia has lost his spot in the rotation in Sacramento. But he's really a poor man's version of what I think the, the Heat were hoping that they could get in the offseason with a stretch four. You know, so what, what I'm wondering is, instead of going for the big move, right, 
why don't you go for the poor man's version of like a Danilo Gallinari? Because Belitsky is actually a decent defender. I, I, he has this reputation of being a poor defender, and he's not. So maybe that solves your issue with the four. So anyway, all that to say, instead of like going all in for a, a whale, which seems like it's not going to come at this point, would you rather now look at potentially giving up some of your assets to try to fortify that one spot and then, and then fortify that four spot? Yeah, I, I, I look – Yes, I think if there's – look, Belizzi is not really a guy that's going to excite a lot of Heat fans. I understand why. But if you delve into it, he is probably an upgraded KO, but I think not significant enough. When you look at what KO could provide on offense at times, and KO's had those moments where he, he breaks out and has a big game, 20, 20-plus 20 points in the game. Uh, defensively, as you mentioned, it's probably more of a factor. I mean, clearly is than KO has been consistency is I think what the next thing you know if you bring in a guy like that that's not a star how long will it take him to adapt to the heat way the system you're already you've already dug yourself in a hole where I talked about earlier that pack you're on the outside of that pack barely outside of it but you need to find your way back into that pack so you can start getting closer to where you want to be when you get down to the nitty-gritty of 30 games left in the schedule which believe it or not is not that far away you're talking another 20 games from now so my thing with the Heat is if they're going to make a move for the sake of just making a move, I'm not sure how much that really helps them if, it's, if the, the advancement and the improvement isn't a significant one. I think Lowry would fit more in the bigger step of a significant improvement because the one thing the Heat are missing, you can go back, Clay. You know what the funny thing is? We can go back, certainly pre-even last year's finals run in the previous year's team when they had Justice Winslow and trying to form him as a point guard. They've tried to form Tyler into a point guard. They've tried to let Kendrick have more kind of point guard ball dominant ability as far as, you know, ball handling facilitating. And while both have improved, I think it's fair to say in that aspect, they're nowhere close to where they need to be as far as a true point guard, someone leading the offense. They're just not. That's not a knock. That's reality. You mentioned Gorn. Gorn is obviously, but look how much you already have to be careful with him minutes-wise. Kyle Lowry would fit right in to exactly what they need on top of still being a damn good defender, having the experience. Oh, by the way, great relationship, great friend of Jimmy Butler. I think he's the kind of guy that without thinking the Bradley Beals of the world, who, as you mentioned, just aren't available right now, I think that's the kind of move they can make. And, you know, more than – Probably, Clay, I hate to say this, but more than I have at any point this season, and you know me, I don't like to overreact with a bad game or a bad stretch. This is, you know, you're talking about more than that now. This is starting to look like this is just the way the Heat are going to play this year. For this team to get to where they want to be, I think some sort of a move like that is not only one they have to look into it, I think it's necessary. I really don't, I'm not sure if the Heat team, the way it's constructed now, can truly put it together and make that kind of finals run again without some help there. Now, if Gorn's healthy in himself and makes it through the rest of the way, hey, man, you like your chances a little bit better. I don't know how much you can count on that, though. Well, not only that, but, but you're not – he's not going to start. You can't start Goran Dragic. The, the, you need to find a way to manage his minutes, and, and that's not the way to do it. Now, potentially, you know, if you want to talk about a lineup that's Dragic, Bradley – uh, Duncan Robinson, Jimmy Butler, and bam, and you go small to start, then maybe. But so, so let's throw that out for a second. We agree on Lowry. I think the reason why I like Bielitsi is I'm not saying you get him as your one move. 
I think if you were to go out and you get a Lowry and a Belizia, then all of a sudden you've got a starting five that it's, it's an upgrade at the two positions right now that you need upgraded the most. Mm-hmm. And so you're talking about Belizia, even if it's not an enormous improvement over, over Olenek, he's somebody who he can defend a bit better and, and he's enough of that shooter. I think you're, you're missing what you had with Jay Crowder where you were more confident in, in his ability to shoot, and believe you would bring that. So, so to me, it would be you – it's going to hurt to get Lowry. And, and I don't know that it would hurt as much to get Bielitsia. So, to me, it's making both moves. You basically say, look, we waited – Hurt. Is it because you think it would take one of the assets that would then maybe hurt you in the pursuit of getting a, a real star? Yes, because I, I'm, I'm kind of I'm, – I'm giving up on that at this point. You know what I mean? Like I, this I think you're not not maybe till next off season. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm saying I'm giving up on the idea that Bradley Beal is going to say before this trade deadline, I want out. So, and here's the other thing. So, so listen, you know, we're sitting here coming up with all these scenarios. Andy Ellisberg is seven steps ahead of us. So when we're sitting, so when you're, we're sitting here talking about what assets they have, he's already got three deals lined up to where he could get back the picks that he needs in order to satisfy the Stepian rule and then trade off draft picks. So when we're talking assets, it's not necessarily, hey, you're going to flip Tyler Hero for Kyle Lowry. You're talking about ways to accumulate these assets that we probably haven't even thought of, that they've been keeping in their back pocket for a potential Bradley Beal deal this season or whoever it might be. Now I think you have to start thinking, and this is your point, now I think you have to start thinking, this team this year is not good enough. And this roster is not where it needs to be. And we're not going to waste Jimmy Butler's prime. We're not going to waste another year of his prime. So let's go out and let's make a couple of moves, give up one or two of those assets that we were maybe holding back on in order to get Lowry. Go to Sacramento and, and offer them, I, I mean, a second-round pick for Bielitsa because it looks like they're just trying to move him. And he would come into your trade exception so that he can just get him without having to give up anything and match salaries in return. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's like you're adding him for nothing. You are giving up an asset or two for Lowry. And all of a sudden, to me, Will, that puts them back in the mix that you're talking about. Because right now, you're right, they're not. In that mix of that next level, but I don't know how far they happen to the top level, the top tier. The good thing for the Heat is that the East isn't that good. Look, there's no – even the Sixers as well they've been playing, they're a, a very good team, but they don't scare me the way a Utah does out West. I mean, you saw right. what Utah has. My goodness, that's a machine right now. Obviously, the Lakers, what they are when they're rolling and they're their own team. I think the only team that has the ability to potentially be that way is the Nets, but they need so much help defensively that I think even in a series with the Nets, while their star power you know is going to be there, you still feel like you've got a shot if you play your type of defense and just slow them down a little bit. I just wonder if, you know, again, there are internal options with the Heat. We still haven't seen anything of Mo Harkless, and he's back available, but I don't know what he is on this roster. Because, again, what I mentioned about Belizia or anyone you bring in that's a kind of a mid-level type player, not a superstar, there is that adjustment period and that comfort level that takes time. Mo Harkless, you would think, now having worked with this team, though not playing much, is at least some sort of comfort level that he can maybe help, but we haven't seen it. Avery Bradley, one step forward, three steps back. We haven't yeah. seen any of him. He would certainly help. You and I were talking about 
him potentially being a starter with this group if Spo wanted to have more defense. And I think literally five minutes after you and I had that discussion, he got hurt again. Yep. And, and, you know, he's out for at least another two to three weeks. So, again, two to three weeks, do the math. That's till the All-Star break relatively, you know, basically till the All-Star break. So there are internal fixes to at least make this better. But I think you said it best when you talk about Andy Ellisberg being seven steps ahead. Pat Riley's the same. He already has assessed this roster, and in his mind, he has said, I think this roster healthy is good enough, or there's no way this roster is good enough to get to where we were last year, given the way we're playing now and the way that, again, the primary ball handler issue is a factor. Jimmy, as good as he is, can't do it all. Bam, as much as he's ascended, still has moments where he doesn't take over games, where I think it's, again, it's something he's just going to learn to expect him to be Kevin Garnett overnight isn't going to happen he has already made such a big leap but I think it's there internally to see some sort of fix but that next level may have to come with a bigger deal and I'm okay with moving an asset in a bigger deal because I think the key in all this is you're wasting Jimmy's prime if this being a heat team that's a six or seven seed and loses in the first round of the playoffs because they never got going they never got rolling they never made a move what a waste of a season when Jimmy is right now playing at his highest level, a guy that's flirting with a triple-double every single night. Let me ask you this. We know Jimmy loves Tyler Hero. We know that he loves who he calls his guys on that team. Where does that love kind of stop and business start, right? Like where – what – and, and I guess what I'm saying is, does he love them so much that, that maybe – and look, last year he told us all this as well, and it turned out he was right and everybody else was wrong. But I just wonder, excuse me, if, if he loves these guys to the point where maybe like you look at – how do I put this in a nice way? Maybe they're not as good as he seems to think they are. And if that's the case – is it that he may be overestimating how good they are, or is it that they just haven't found the tape? Like, is it because he doesn't want them to be traded that they're not pushing this, or is it because they just haven't found the taker? Like, I would just love to know what the the inside conversations are, and because I think it's pretty clear that Butler is consulted on whatever it is that they're going to do, right? I, I think that's been reported, and I, I, think, I think it's safe to say that they wouldn't make a move unless, unless Jimmy were on some level okay with it. So, you know, he loves these guys, and yet you can love a group of guys and, and realize that they may not make you professionally as good as, as you need to be. And so I, I wonder how much of that is this, this delicate balance that, that they're having to deal with right now, in addition to not knowing what this roster is. And, um, so it's just so weird, Will. And, and we'll cap it off by saying you and I are on the same page. I think, they're, I, I think even when they get everybody back, it's hard to see that they're going to be good enough with this current roster to make the run like they did last year. What they're going to have to do is, is figure out what tough decision – are they willing to make? Who are they willing to give up and for whom in order to try to make it right this year? Yeah. I think to your point on Jimmy, though, I will say this. Jimmy's a guy who's been on a lot of teams in the NBA. He understands this is a business more than anybody. 
He, and, and as much as Jimmy has said, hey, it's different here with the Heat because they embrace me for who I am, and this is why he has been so successful in Miami, he also understands that in a business, sometimes friendships get kind of set aside for yeah. business. And if the yeah. business of making this team better is trading someone that Jimmy likes or is high on, and by the way, he likes everybody. This week he was asked about Max Truce, and Jimmy straight up said, man, that guy can effing play. That guy yeah. Player like he and, and he, he was followed up. Well, why do you think that? And Jimmy, I asked him the question. I said, Wait, it's one thing to say it, but why do you believe it? He's like, Because I see him at the gym every day, I know what he's got. So these guys all believe in each other, but they also understand that you know, as they began the new week, they were four games under 500, struggling outside looking into the playoff race, and it can't continue. My final point on the heat is on Duncan. I think that's the next step, Clay. I think before any trade, before anything, what I'm curious about into this week, which, by the way, leads into that big game Saturday night on Local 10, the finals rematch. We've got our pregame show, uh, Nissan countdown to tip off at 7.30. We've got the game at 8 Saturday night. This week, to me, leading up to that game, is give me Duncan Robinson. Give yeah. me Duncan Robinson. Then once you have that, again, internally, you feel you're playing better. And then you can worry about, okay, how do, you, how do, you, do we need to make a deal, whether it's a, a, a kind of a smaller deal for a four that can help, like a Jay Crowder type move, which turned out to be great, or are we really going to get involved in some sort of deal for Kyle Lowry and what would it take? But I think step one, get Duncan Robinson to play like Duncan Robinson. They're aware of it. The, what's the first step in fixing the problem, right? Understanding you have a problem. Acknowledge it. Yeah. You know okay. what? Maybe that's why. They, you know, I asked, I asked at the outset here, why is it that just now they're talking about it? Maybe you're right. Maybe it's because they're willing to talk about it now and realizing the problem, and they figure that's the first step towards fixing it. Yep, I, I think so. All right, so we, uh, we, that's the key the problem things. And, I, and, again, I mentioned that right off the top, I mentioned the Marlins are starting. We're going to talk plenty of Marlins. We'll do a separate podcast in the Marlins uh, coming up later, you know, this month or into next month about some of the things we like and the things we see. It's going to be a challenge. We had John Birdie on our Sunday night show, and he talked straight up about, look, we know no one expects us to be the team we were last year, make the playoffs. We're predicted to be last in the NL East. Everybody thinks every other team is better. And they understand that there's going to be that, that chip on their shoulder to deal with. We also know the Panthers are playing some good hockey. They had a wild weekend against Tampa. They took the first one, lost the second one, but they continue to play well. But, Clay, I want to take a few minutes to just – kind of talk about a subject that I think is going to be important the next month, and that's NFL free agency is only a few weeks away from getting started. Uh, one of the players immediately out there this week was J.J. Watt. Everybody immediately in every fan base and everybody that takes a podcast in America <laughs> that does J.J. Watt fit on our team. So on the Miami Sports Podcast, for the fan base of the Miami Dolphins, I will ask you, does J.J. Watt fit on this team? Sure. I mean, J.J. JJ Watt can fit on any team, apparently, except the one in Houston. I don't know who fits on that team right now. Um, Yeah, I mean, he can, even at this point in his career, he's not the defensive player of the year anymore. He's he's not, he's not near that level. But man, yeah, the guy can still play. The guy can still play really, really well. I, I just feel like if you're the Dolphins, I, I don't know that that's the that's the ticket that you cash in this off season. And so you're going to look around and I, I think there are other teams that they could see that as like the missing piece and something that, you know, if you're, I think the teams you're going to hear a lot are teams like green Bay, Chicago and Buffalo and Buffalo and, and green Bay in particular could look at a JJ Watt 
and say that's the missing piece for us because it's two teams that at times have needed that element defensively. I don't know if that's really been a problem for the Dolphins, whereas if I'm the Dolphins, I'm not, I'm not spending any money on J.J. Watt that could go towards an Allen Robinson, that could go towards a Chris Godwin. They could go towards a Kenny Galladay, a Marvin Jones, whoever you decide to go after as your potential number one receiver. So could he fit? Yeah, absolutely. But if I'm the Dolphins and I'm prioritizing free agents and what holes to fill, which is what free agency is about, it's filling holes, go out and spend your money on the receiver. Maybe go find a running back. Don't spend the money on a pass rusher who may be very, very good, even at this point in his career, but who somebody else is likely going to value higher than you will. Yep. I, I think so, too. And I, I think, you know, as good as J.J. Watt is, as you said, everybody would want J.J. Watt. I, I don't – to me, I think the Dolphins' defense isn't even about star players, even though they signed Byron Jones last offseason. Look, they spent a lot of money last offseason. Uh, Xavier Howard was a finalist for defensive player of the year. But there really is – in Brian Flores' system, it's more about finding guys to adapt to roles. And I think that's the kind of move you can make in kind of fringe free agent moves and the draft. I think the bigger question for Miami is, you know, are you going to spend that whatever money you have available? And there is something about this offseason that's changed too, Clay, is that we started about a month ago, a month and a half ago, already thinking to the offseason because that's just what fans do, right? And everything kind of changed with the fact that the salary cap isn't going to be what it was expected to be. And now all of a sudden the ability to go out there and just say, hey, I'm going to sign Allen Robinson or I'm going to sign Kenny Gallagher and I'm going to sign, you know, uh, Juju Schuster, all these different things. It's not that easy now, given the dynamic of a lesser salary cap and what the Dolphins would have to do move-wise, moving things around, cutting guys, freeing up money. Uh, there is a bigger picture there. I really think that while the Dolphins will be active in free agency, I'm not sure if the home run hit is what they're going to look for. I think they did that last offseason. I think it's the fill the pieces hit, and I think the home runs have to come in the draft with all the yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm, the wide receiver position is what I find interesting. And, and so, you know, you're looking at all these mock drafts right now. And, you know, obviously right there at number three, everybody's picking, oh, who's the top receiver? Who's the top offensive tackle that they, they ultimately decide on? When you look at the, the highly valued players on a roster, you know, you have, you have some receivers who make a ton of money. You're Michael Thomas's, you're DeAndre Hopkins. A true franchise tackle is, you know, you, you look around the league and you're going to have – every team would like to pay at least one tackle a ton of money. So it almost says to me, if, if you're looking at these receivers in the draft and, and you have them bunched together and you feel like you can get one later on that's very, very good, maybe you spend your money on the receiver now in free agency and then you use your first pick on that tackle. I, so I'm saying that to say I, I think what they do in free agency is going to be a telltale sign of what they're looking for in the draft, what positions they're, they're looking to hit in the draft. And my gut tells me that they're going to go really hard after one of those top receivers. So it may not be – they're not going to end up spending as much money as they did on Byron Jones last offseason. But I, I think they're going to survey the landscape and say, okay, you know, if Chris Godwin is franchised, if, if Marvin Jones ends up going out to L.A., you know, you're, you're going to have one or two really, really good receivers who aren't going to have quite the same number of suitors that you would typically have because of both the salary cap, but also because a lot of teams that need a receiver are going to wait and do it in the draft. Yeah. So the Dolphins may actually, to your point of not hitting the home run, 
they may be able to get a home run type player by paying double or triple type money because the receiver position is not going to be as highly valued in free agency this offseason, given what's in the draft and given what the salary cap's going to look like. Yeah, and that's, that's going to be – and the beauty of all this, that's why we're going to save. I want to have a good podcast on just – from come before April on every pick, the third pick, the 18th pick, what specific picks they may do. But it's really hard to discuss that. If they do go out and feel that an Allen Robinson's the guy – do you think they double up and say, hey, I'm going to take Allen Robinson, Jamar Chase, Allen Robinson, yeah. Jamar Smith? I mean, it's possible. It would be a hell of a way to do things. I mean, you have the assets. Uh, but it, it really is hard to have that discussion without truly getting a feel of what they're going to do in free agency. Yeah, yeah. So once we get through that, then we can kind of figure out where they're heading that direction. I, You know, I'll say it again, though, and we, we talked about this, you know, as the Super Bowl was going on. I'm – I'm confident in what they have defensively that they could replicate what Tampa did defensively. <laughs> they got nothing to match what those guys have offensively when it comes to playmakers. And, and I think they know that. And, and so I, that's why I feel like in this offseason, before they get to the draft, you know, the, the classic thing is you use free agency for your hole to plug your holes. You use the draft to go best player available and stock your roster. Um, I, I just, I, I feel strongly you're going to see them. Uh, them fishing for some big name free agents at the receiver position and may not have to pay that home run type price, which um, that's why this time of year is fun. And, and so I'm looking forward to that as well. I am as well. We'll have plenty of podcasts to discuss it. Uh, we'll talk plenty about that. I mentioned we got the baseball podcast coming up. And of course, we'll keep following the heat uh, the first half of the season, just a couple of weeks away. We're wrapping up. They need to start turning this thing around. Uh, and hopefully they do that again next Saturday night, that game against the Lakers. You can watch it on Local 10, the only place you can catch it in South Florida. We've got our Nissan countdown, the tip-off show at 7.30. Clay and I have got some good stuff planned for that pregame show leading up to the Lakers. For now, though, that is your Miami Sports Podcast. We appreciate you listening. We'll talk again next week.